welcome back to the Your Journey to Happiness podcast. My name is Angelo Quibelli. And today is season two, episode six, Who is Angelo Q? Part one. That's right. I thought this new year would be a great opportunity to, to share with my listeners, the five or six listeners that I have, my backstory. And, you know, as I said the other day about why, you know, why I'm podcasting, not only for you guys and gals, but also that maybe one day my two sons will hear these next few episodes and they'll finally get to know me. Because you know how kids are. They're not really interested in what their parents did for a living, how their parents grew up, things like that. They just know that either their parents are away from the house or they're not. You know, because my kids really, they don't, they really don't know how I grew up. And, you know, you try and mention it ever so often and make teachable moments out of it or things like that. And, you know, most kids just don't care uh, until sadly they're older and it's too late. You know, I wish I had the opportunity to hear how my father grew up, <clears throat> you know. So anyway, so I thought this would be a great opportunity for the next few episodes to just, um, share with you my backstory I touched on it a little of it in one a prior episode when I discussed uh, Roe v. Wade when the Supreme Court overturned uh, Roe v. Wade because uh, at the time I I had you know experience with that because I am an abortion survivor so I thought it was appropriate at the time to to talk about it but anywho so let's uh, let's get into it who is Angelo Angelo Crabelli. So, in uh, in 1962, well, you know, let me backtrack a little bit. You know, I know over the years, it seems like these celebrities all of a sudden have these horrific backstories. You know, sexual abuse and poverty and all this stuff. And you know what? I don't even know if that's true or not because today it's, everyone's lying about everything, right? Sadly. Um, and I'm not one to judge. Of course, unless they're lying about it, then I have no respect for them. Um, and then more recently, Elon Musk, uh, there's some videos come like circulating about him and, and his horrific childhood. And I know they interviewed him. They interviewed his mother. I think maybe his sister. And, you know, apparently his dad was a monster. I mean, his, his seemed real and sincere. I don't know about the other uh, movie stars. But, you know, I guess it... You know, for those who are kind of, I think, BSing about it, um, you know, to get a little sympathy or maybe it's trendy now, you know, I don't, I I don't agree with that. And, um, but it just seems like you have to have this horrific childhood to like be successful. It just almost seems that way, right? Anyway, in my case, the reason why I say it's because in my case, I had a great childhood. I had a wonderful childhood. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So anyway, so let's get back to uh, ground zero. So in 1962, I'm 60 years old now. In 1962, in uh, August, I was born. And I was born in Milan, Italy. And I either was born in like a convent or in an orphanage or in a hospital. But then I was immediately put up for adoption at birth Um, so at some point I guess I did end up going to an orphanage 
And um, I'm sorry, I just had to take a sip of my espresso. I apologize. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure the fact, the exact facts, but and you know, you'll, as I tell you more, you'll you kind of see where this is coming from. Uh, the bottom line is was oh, the bottom line is that I I was given up for adoption at birth. Uh, whether my mom had me in a convent or they watched over her pregnancy in a convent, then brought her to a local hospital where she had me, then took the baby back to either the convent or to the convent slash orphanage. I don't know the whole story, but, and I'll tell you how I eventually found out because I certainly, I didn't know about this until I was a young adult or a teenager, I should say. Um, and I'll get to that at some point. But so anyway, so I was born in Italy, um, put up for adoption, adoption immediately, and I was given the name Angelo Quibelli. That's my birth name. Now, most likely, Quibelli is my most likely. I don't have the facts, but most likely that was my mother's maiden name, and most likely it wasn't my father's name, whoever my father is. And as far as it was common practice back then to uh, call the the boy infant um, Angelo and the girl, if it was a girl, Angela, you know, because we were angels of God or angels from God, something like that, right? Angelo, Angela, right? God or angel, right? So that was common practice. So that kind of makes sense, too, that I was named Angelo. And... Um, and again, I really didn't lock in on this until years later, and I'll eventually get to that. But so far, that those are the, you know, the facts. I was born in Italy. I do have my Italian passport. And um, from what I understand, sometime in, I think it was December of 1963. So what's that? Like a year and four months later. From what I understand, two. Roman Catholic nuns flew me from Milan, Italy um, to New York City and um, on a Pan-American flight. And I don't know if you guys remember that Pan-America, it doesn't exist anymore, but that was uh, like an international airline back in my day, right in the 60s. And um, what's What's interesting is that, or what's funny is that, supposedly these two Roman Catholic nuns flew me to New York, right? But I think it was a week or two weeks, no more than two weeks prior to that flight. And I think it was in December. I have the exact date, but it's because it's on my passport. December of 1963, like two weeks prior to that. I think it was like the first week in December, like December 3rd or 5th, something like that. Pan American had, I believe, its first crash. And at the time, I thought it was international, but I found, I did some research, and it wasn't. It wasn't an overseas um, crash. It, the plane actually crashed in Elkton, Maryland. And I think it was the first Pan America crash. So, and again, I don't know if that was global news back in that time. Maybe not. You know, we didn't have the internet back then, right? So it's possible these two nuns knew nothing about that. But imagine two nuns, two Roman Catholic nuns possibly flying for the first time 
with on a probably I'm sure the flight was 10 hours back then, not eight hours now because you know planes are faster now. But let's say 10 hours on a flight with a screaming, crying, snot-nosed baby, and imagine if they knew that two weeks prior the the same airline crashed. That must have been terrifying for them if that was the case. I really don't know. I'm just kind of speculating. Um, so I was. You know, flown to New York on uh, December of 63, adopted by an Italian-American couple from Brooklyn. And um, the reason why I was adopted, um, well, let me, go, let me go back a little bit. So the reason why I did the whole Roe v. Wade thing was because in 1962, uh, both divorce and abortions were illegal. So there, but for the grace of God and the Italian government, go I. Because I'm, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that if abortion was legal back in 62, there's a good chance my mother would have aborted me. Because it seems that my mother was like a young kid, maybe 14, 15 years old, 16. It seems that that was the scenario. You know, based on the fact that it, there were nuns involved, we're talking convent, orphanage, it seems that that might be the case, that she was a young girl, my mother. So anyway, so but the reason why I was adopted to begin with was that this Italian-American couple from Brooklyn, they, um, seven years prior, they adopted their first child in Brooklyn. And the reason for that was because my adoptive mother... In like when she was young in the 40s, I think probably 30s or 40s, 1930s and 1940s, she um, had appendicitis, her appendix, um, you know, ruptured, burst, or whatever the case may be. Uh, she got sepsis, she got a bad infection. You know, granted, in these days, medicine wasn't big, surgery wasn't big, right, as it was today. So it was a bad infection. She got sepsis and it closed her fallopian tubes. You know, now they have the surgery to can they can reopen those tubes by surgery. At the time, obviously, they didn't, so it closed her fallopian, my, my adoptive mother's fallopian tubes, and she could not have, not bear children. Mm. Sorry. And for my, you know, Italian-American adoptive father, that's, you know, that's a, that's a no-no. Because uh, the Italian males, you know, wanted kids. So that's why he adopted my adoptive brother who was a, a regular you know white kid from Brooklyn um, they went to the Angel Guardian home on 65th Street in Brooklyn uh, right on the Bay Ridge Bensonhurst border I think it was like 65th because I've seen it numerous times growing up in Brooklyn I think it was like pff, 65th and what between 9th and 10th Avenue or something like that right on right where Bay Ridge, when Bay Ridge started or the border of Bayridge started, as opposed to Bensonhurst. And now it's the place is called something different. So then, all right, so now seven years later, when they want a second child, meaning me, they went back to the Angel Guardian home. And by then, as, as my adoptive father tells me the story, he said that at that time they were told, you know, they were told the American white babies were scarce. You know, there weren't, there were none left in the, in the system or on the market, so to speak, right? So, I'm sure they had the option of a Chinese baby, you know, Russian, but, or maybe not even at that time, I don't know. 
But I remember the, I guess the people in charge, you know, there might have been nuns there as well at the Angel Guardian Home, I don't know, or, or admin, whoever they were. They said to my father, but we, you know, we have contacts in Italy if you want an Italian baby. So my father, you know, said, okay, where do I sign? And, you know, he wanted a boy, I guess. I, I, he probably, I'm sure he had the option of a boy or a girl. So he wanted the boy. And um, then here I, and here I am. So that's, um, that's why I was adopted. And um, so I was flown to America and adopted by this couple. I was, they took me sight, you know, sight unseen. And, um, and, you know, I don't even think back then, like, I know growing up, you know, adoptions were like 10, 20, 30, 40 grand, right? You know, if they were, they were black market or not, I don't know. But he, they, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like a $100 donation, to be honest. And then my dad ended up getting a baby from Italy. So, but what's really crazy, and again, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not knowing any of this. I found out later in life. But what's crazy is I, I look just like my adopted father. My father looked like, he had that look like Jackie, I don't know if you can, Jackie Gleason from The Honeymooners or Perry Mason. My dad had that look about him, you know, and I looked just like him. You know, we were, um, you know, as I, as I got older, we, my dad and I were very close. We'd go out a lot to different, he would take me to always the nicest restaurants and, you know, we might be at the bar in the beginning waiting for a table or something like that and and I can't tell you how many times a stranger would look at me and my father at the bar and the, the person whether male or female would say to my father wow he meaning me he's just a teardrop from your eye which means I look just like I looked exactly like him that was an old school expression so I um you know so I, I mean it was crazy I just I looked just like him it was amazing so, um, but I grew up good in Brooklyn. I mean, um, I was lucky, you know, my father, my adoptive father was an attorney, did very well for himself. Uh, we lived in a, uh, in an, uh, uh, like an exclusive Jewish neighborhood called Midwood near Flatbush. Nice house, um, nice quiet block. I, you know, I grew up well, I had everything I wanted. You know, I was fortunate. I wouldn't trade that for anything, you know, and, um. And, um, you know, Brooklyn at the time was a great place to grow up. And like I said, Brooklyn, you know, at the time, that was a, Brooklyn, New York was a great place to grow up. You know, we had our, our set neighborhoods, um, you know, like I was in Midwood, the Midwood section in Brooklyn, which was all, all Jewish, you know, very few Italians. And it was, uh, you know, you had your, your Orthodox Hasidim or Hasidic Jews. You had Sephardic or Syrian Jews. You had regular American Jews. Um, you know, um, then that bordered, as it, you got closer to the flappish section of Brooklyn, which bordered Midwood, you had, um, you know, Irish people. You know, Bentonhurst was pretty much all Italian. Um, Sunset Park was all, you know, Puerto Rican. And what else? Bay Ridge was like German, Greek, maybe Irish. Brownsville was all black. My dad grew up in East New York, so I was like half black, half whatever. 
My mother grew up, my adopted mother grew up in Brooklyn, and I'm sorry, Bushwick, Brooklyn. That was all like German and Italian in her day. Um, we had, you know, I guess a section with Korean or Chinese, but it was all like separate, all separate sections. And it's not a matter of segregation, but it was like, you know, they people obviously flocked to their own neighborhoods. It was kind of nice in a way because it was nice to travel into those neighborhoods because you got a different fl- a flavor. Right, so the foods were different, right? Benson Hurst, you had the best pizza, right, in New York. You know, Bay Ridge, I guess you had Greek food and maybe German delis. You know, Midwood, you had the great, you know, the the um, you had the great um, kosher places and and diners. The classic diner, were, you know, Greek diners were very popular in Jewish neighborhoods, as well as Chinese restaurants. So it was a good mix of, you know, it was just nice that the neighborhoods were different. You know, not from a point, not from what you're thinking, like, oh, you know, you don't belong in my neighborhood. No, nothing like that. It was, it was nice that it was separate. It, well, I think it was nice. I, I think it was. You know, I, I like because I like the fact of going into different neighborhoods. You know, to me, it was like exciting, like it was going into, like almost like going into a different country. All right, so I enjoyed that. You know, Brooklyn was a great time. You know, people watched out for everybody. It was nice. It was a nice way to grow up, and um. I end up going to um, a, uh, a Catholic grade school from grade one to uh, eight, and uh, it was it was strangely enough it was in Midwood, even though it was in the Jewish section, and that's why it eventually died. Eventually, it, you know, there weren't enough Catholic students to sustain it. it eventually, closed down. I think um, by the time I got to college, I think it closed down, and uh, it was just a grade school, no Catholic high school, you know, at this location. It was co-ed. I would walk to it. It was only like two blocks away. So I did that for eight, you know, eight years. And then from there I went to, and again, the kids there were mainly Irish, a few Italians. Um, from there I went to a high school in Bay Ridge, uh, Zavarian High School. And that was an all boys Catholic high school in Bay Ridge. And I think it was like the number one Catholic high school at the time. You know, supposedly it was better academically than Bishop Ford, than Nazareth. And I think that was it for Catholic high schools in Brooklyn, I think, for boys, for boys, all boys schools. Great school, you know, great four years. You know, the students are all Italian, Greek, Irish. That was really it. You know, a few Spanish and very few black. Um, but it was, a, again, a good, you know, it was a, the kids were good. They were good kids, you know. No troublemakers. It was good kids. They were good kids, and you know we were taught by brothers, the Zavarian brothers, whoever they are. And um, um, I kind of regret now that I went to an old boys Catholic high school uh, because I was socially out of the game for a long time because of that. I was very, very shy. I had very little confidence, and that's why when my older boy out on Long Island, when he was looking at um, you know, when we were trying to get him, have him in a go to a Catholic school, high school, we didn't want him in an all boys one. We wanted him in a co-ed one. I didn't want him to go to an all boys school. I thought that would be a huge, huge disadvantage to him. And he was, he was really on the shy side, my older boy. But it definitely, it definitely affected my, my uh, social development going to an all boys school and I would never recommend it for anybody honestly 
you know, I can't speak for an all-girls school, but for an all-boys school, that was ridiculous. And I'm trying to think, what was the number one Catholic school in all of New York City? It was, I think, Regis. Regis you had to test into, and that was in Manhattan, I think, wasn't it? And then in Brooklyn, we had, you know, every, all the other schools were public schools and, like, high schools. Uh, there was one Brooklyn Tech that you had to test into, just like Stuyvesant that was in Manhattan, the very famous Stuyvesant school you had to test into. And then Bronx at the Bronx High School of Science. Those were like the top public schools. But it was a great school. Um, it was good. It was definitely good. Um, and, you know, growing up, I I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how I got into it. Maybe because my older brother started. But when I was a little kid, I started playing ice hockey. You know, at the age of, I don't know, 8, 10 years old, whatever the case may be. There was a rink in Coney Island called uh, Abe Stark. And um, I just started playing ice hockey. And I loved it. In fact, I... That's one thing about my dad. He was always good about... Like, he believed in, like, training, camps, lessons. He was real big on that. Like, we used to go skiing ever so often... Uh, upstate New York at the different resorts they had back then. Now they don't even exist anymore. And they either had their own ski slope or a little shuttle bus would take you to the local one. And it never failed. He always wanted me to get a lesson that first time out because let's say I had gone in a while or something like that. He was so big on that. And it made the rest of the weekend just so much more enjoyable. So when it came to ice hockey, he, I think I started in a camp. Right? I didn't even start playing locally. I think I started by going to a camp. And um, it was called Skateland. And it was in New Hyde Park, Long Island. And, um, and the camp, and it was only for like two weeks, I think. And the camp was run by um, Brad Park, Rod Gilbert, and Jills Villamure. Of the New York Rangers. Jules Villamil was the backup goaltender to Eddie Jockerman. And then there was Brad Park and Roger Bear, who uh, they were like forwards, right? They were centers and wings, right? I think. And in, in be- during the day, you know, in between the hockey instruction, we had these power skating sessions on the rink where we'd have to go around the different circles forwards, backwards, left, right. And this young girl was taking us through these power skating sessions and it was a 16 year old girl and her name was Peggy Fleming and we had to chase around these circles she was amazing and then after that camp I played in the local house league I think it was called the Greater New York Ice Hockey League and it was, again it was out of uh, usually out of Abe Stark rink in Coney Island there was another rink in Flushing where the World's Fair was. That was the thing with ice hockey. You know, rinks were far and few between. Ice time was always three in the morning, four in the morning, stuff like that. And I give my lot of my father a lot of credit for driving me. He never he never missed a game, never missed a practice. And I remember the poor guy, sometimes we'd have games like, you know, we'd have games during the week. It wasn't always on the weekend, so we'd have a game like on a Tuesday night. And um, it might be, maybe it was like 7 o'clock or something, or an 8 o'clock game, or even 6.30 game. And I remember my dad rushing to come back from work from Manhattan, and then 
getting me in the car and, and trying to get to this rink and, tr- and rush out traffic. And, and I always knew when we were a little close, like to get it becoming late, my dad w- I would say to me, because I would sit in the back seat of his Cadillac, he would say to me, you know what? Start putting your skates on. <laughs> so, but anyway, step back a little bit. So, you know, when I got to New York as an infant, I think five years, I think it's a long process. So I think it took about five years for me to become a naturalized citizen. Um, and of course, my, my adoptive parents, they actually gave me the name Joseph as my first name. So I was given a different name. And it's just that Angelo Crabelli is my birth name. So I was became a uh, naturalized citizen, and um, so that made me legit. I think that was like a five-year process, and I think that my dad had to like I think he had to surrender my my birth certificate as part of that process because years years later I found my I found my adoption papers and I found my passport my original Italian passport, but I never found my birth certificate. So I never never knew you know any other further information in fact all right so then let me let me continue so now i'm in high school right i'm at um a catholic high school in uh, in bay ridge and um you know it was like a 45 minute bus ride maybe to, to an hour i just had to walk up my block in midwood on the corner of avenue l and east 27th street I got the B9 bus, B stood for Brooklyn, 9 was, I guess, the route number, and my high school was the last stop. It was on Shore Road in Bay Ridge, 7100 Shore Road. Um, so this is where where the story takes a, you know, gets a little juicy. So um, I was, now I'm a junior in high school. Well, let me back up a second. As a sophomore in high school, I was part of the Italian club. All right. Well, this school was actually, what was good about this school was that the freshman year, whatever language you took, and they had Latin, German, Italian, Spanish, Russian. It was crazy, the languages my school offered. You know, it was a very, it was a very good academic school. So if you were like, in, took Italian, then you'd eventually be in the Italian club, right? And the Italian club would at some point make a trip to Italy like my brother when he went to my high school seven years earlier he took Spanish he was in a Spanish club and he went to Spain with the high school so I went to so you know now um so I in uh, my my sophomore year I took the trip with the high school to the to Italy again not knowing I was born in Italy I didn't know yet I still didn't know right so now come junior year um, we had like one guidance counselor at my school. You know, now schools have, like, have a whole team, right? Most schools, especially public schools. But we had one guidance counselor, and one of his functions was to call down all the juniors. This is a great story, by the way. One of the one of his functions was to call down every junior throughout that year, just to have a little 15-minute chat. Hey, you thinking about, you know? college or you, you know studying for your PSAT stuff like that right and we, we were all high level kids we were going to you know Brown Harvard you know most of the kids were going to good schools 
right? More, I, I'm pretty sure the majority of the kids went away and the rest of them stayed local. But we were all, you know, destined for great things, so to speak. I mean, it wasn't really like a prep school, you know, like Poly Prep was in Brooklyn. That was a fancy prep school. It wasn't like that. But our kids were going places. In fact, e- even the kids that stayed local and became New York City cops, they excelled. They all excelled. Sergeant, lieutenant, captain, detective, you know, detective first grade. Because we were small kids. We just excelled no matter what we did. So, uh, so it's my turn to see this counselor. I don't even know who he was. I don't remember what he looked like or his name. He had this little office. It was almost like a therapist's office, like one chair facing another, low lighting, right? It was like that. And I remember sitting across from this guy, and I don't think there was like a coffee table in between. This was just a chair facing a chair, right? Single chair facing another single chair. Low light. I don't think there was any kind of music, right? So I sit down, and the first thing this guy says to me, he says, so Joe, you were born in Italy, huh? I, I looked at this guy like it must have been like it was clearly a look of disbelief because this is the first time I'm hearing this and he's got this manila folder on his lap and now he's like nervous that he messed up because he must have seen the look of disbelief on my face and because I said to him I said oh is that what that says there and I'm like pointing to the manila, manila folder on his lap and uh, now he's flipping through the pages like he's, he thought maybe he messed up and he goes, no, it says here, you baptized church in Milan. I guess you have my baptismal certificate, which I had never seen in my life. I had never seen my birth certificate. Because you're a high school kid, you don't see any of those things. Like, And, I, and now it's funny because I remember you know, going back as I'm applying to different high schools. Like where they'd ask what hospital you were born or where you were born, whatever the case may be. I, I guess my parents shielded me. And either they did the form applications for me, or if it was something I was doing, and I'd say, hey, Ma, where was, you know, what hospital was I born in? She'd say, oh, yeah, put down Brooklyn Hospital. There's no Brooklyn Hospital. I didn't know as a kid, right? And I don't ever remember putting down, if I ever had to put my date, like my, my birth where I was born, like for like, I don't know, if you're playing ba- uh, baseball that little league that year and you got to put it down on a full registration form, I would just put Brooklyn, New York, and no one thought anything different of it because it wasn't like it was super legit, right? So I, I, so you could if you, you could understand how, you know, up to 17 years, it was easy to get away with not knowing literally where you were born, for sure. It was pretty easy to be duped like that. It's pretty easy for your parents to hide that stuff. So here I am, junior high school. I'm 17 years old. The guy says to me, "Yeah, you were. Let's say you were you baptized church in Milan." Now I knew enough that Milan was a city in Italy, but still, Italy. What that like? Where'd that come from? So I said to him, "I said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, I wanted to play it off. I didn't want to like make a big scene because now I didn't know if I was in trouble or something, right? So. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I don't remember what this guy said the rest of the half hour, 20 minutes. I'm sure he asked me, you going to college? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to Harvard. You know, just tell him anything. Couldn't care less. Yeah, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to go to Harvard. And that was it. And Because I didn't hear a word this guy said the rest of that session. Well, the rest of that day, in fact. You know, when high school ended at 2.30, got on the bus, got home around 3.30, quarter to 4. So now, picture this. I'm 17 years old. 
right? I'm in the kitchen of my house in Midwood. My mother's in the kitchen. She was a stay-at-home mom. My adopted mother, unbeknownst to me. She's in the kitchen cooking, whatever, at the sink doing dishes. So I sit down. I have a little snack, you know, before I get ready to do my homework, whatever the case may be. And, uh, and so, again, picture this. I'm 17 years old, right? So now I'm at the kitchen table, and I say, Mommy. And she said, Yes, Joseph. I said, Where was I born? And she said, Why? I said, Well, and she's now doing dishes at the sink, right? Small kitchen. You know, this is all, everything was small back then, right? You know, no center islands or anything like that, right? You know, it was just small, right? So um, I said, Well, you know, I had this funny conversation with me, with, um, the guidance counselor at school today, and he seems to think I was born in Italy. And I know that you've never been there, although my mother, her first language was Italian, but she was born here because her mother and father were from Italy. So her first, first language was Italian, which I knew, I knew that, and she would even translate for the kids that would come off the boat. Because back in the day, you could take a plane. In my mother's day, you would come off the boat, actually, the boat to Ellis Island, right? So she would translate for the kids coming off the boat, going to whatever school she was at in Bushwick. So Italian was her first language, but I knew she wasn't born in Italy. I knew she was born in Brooklyn. So I said, well, because I know you, I said to my mother, I said, I know, well, you've never been to Italy, and I know dad's never been to Italy, and he wasn't, and he wasn't even first generation. He was born here also. And he, in fact, his parents weren't even born in Italy either. So I said, you know, I know you weren't born, you weren't never, went, never went to Italy, and, and dad never went to Italy so you know what's the deal and <laughs> I think she even maybe broke a dish in the sink when she like she first heard me that I knew about this she says well Joseph you were adopted and I'm like oh that's not a second punch in my face at 17 all within the three hour three hour period I'm told I'm adopted right no first I told I'm told I'm born in Italy then I'm told I'm adopted it couldn't get like crazier than that in one day seriously so i didn't even my mouth dropped even when she's my mother said that to me you were you adopted well joseph you were adopted i my mouth dropped even further to the ground than my jaw dropped further to the ground than when the guidance counselor said you were born in italy i was like like i was stunned that that was like the one two punch this was the second one now you know, this was the this was the jab jab. This was the, actually the right hook. The jab jab was at high school that day. This was now the right hook to my face, right to my jaw. Knocked me out. I was dumbfounded. I was I was shocked. I didn't say a word. I don't even know if if I finished what I was eating. I went to my room. I think I just sat on my bed or at my desk and just. I, I I don't even remember that part of the day. The rest of that day, I do not remember. I remember being at the kitchen. I remember what my mother said. I don't remember the rest of the day until my dad came home late that night. Because obviously my mother must have called him. And again, there's no cell phones. There's no texting, right? This is literally the dial-up, right? The rotary dial phones, right? You know, I think we were just transitioning to push-button phones at that time. Because this was what? This was 19. I went to high school in what? 76? 77? This might have been 78 now? Yeah, 78. 78, because I went to school, college in 80. So this is like 78, 79, right? 
So, again, I don't remember the rest of that day. It was a blur. And then my father had, you know, he, for whatever reason, he was he came home late a lot at night. I don't know what was going on at the time. I don't know if it was... I, I forget. I don't remember now. But anyway. So, he came to, into my bedroom, which he always did at night. My bedroom was the first... We, we had a two-family house in Brooklyn. We owned it. And um, it was a full basement. And the... Um, the first, the main floor was where I lived with my dad, my brother, my mom. It was uh, three bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen. Upstairs, the same, you know, the same makeup of rooms. My mother's mother and an aunt lived up there. They were both born in Italy, you know. And the three of them spoke this ridiculous dialect that I could never understand. Because when I started taking Italian classes in high school, I, we couldn't even, they couldn't even help me with my homework. You know, so, so my, you know, when you enter my house, you you would enter a little, they call it the foyer or foyer, right? You would enter that, that would enter into the living, I'm sorry, the dining room, off to the dining room was a living room. Then you'd go into like a hallway where off that, off to that was a kitchen. And then my bedroom was the first of the three closest to the kitchen. So if you're going into the house, into the bedrooms, you're going to hit my bedroom first, right? So my dad would always come home, and you know, you, a lot of times he came home late, so I would be sleeping already. And he'd come home and always kneel down by my bedside, kiss me goodnight, kiss me on the forehead. You know, if I wanted to talk to him, or if I was even up, or if he woke me up, I would talk. If I didn't feel like talking, I'd make believe I was sleeping. You know, that's the usual thing, right? But I loved when my father always did it. He always kissed me on the forehead. He was an amazing, amazing guy, amazing man. I got so much love from him. It was unbelievable. So that's why I don't understand how the relationship I have with my kids today. I get no, I got no love. I get, I get no love from them. I, I don't get it. I love my father to death. Anyway, so so he, you know, kneels down, kissing me on the head. I was clearly up. I couldn't sleep at all. And he said to me, he "Goes Joe, you're all right." And I said, "I said, yeah, I'm all right." Because you know, you he heard about the that I found out about all this shit, right? So. I just asked him one question that moment. Now, my father's name was Frederick, and my brother's was Frederick also, Freddie, Freddie Jr., Freddie. Fred or Freddie, we called him, right? So I said to my father, I said, is Freddie adopted too? He said, yes. That was the only question I asked my dad that whole year since I found out. And I was... Internally, I was excited. I mean, I, I went back to bed or tried to go back to bed. My father left. Nothing else was said. And nothing was said until a year later, honestly. That's how crazy it was. So, but I was so happy to find out that my brother was adopted, meaning he wasn't my real brother because I hated that kid. I never liked him. He never liked me. He was seven years older than me. He was tall, blonde hair, good looking, thin. I was short, chunky, dark hair. And we just didn't look like brothers at all. Different personalities, a world of difference. He hated me. I hated him. And it just gave me confirmation that, oh, so now that's like I felt better because now I know why this kid hated me because I wasn't his real brother. I mean, real brothers kind of hate each other, but definitely adopted brothers? Oh, my God. Now it validated 
why he was so mean to me my whole life. Because as much as my childhood was a great childhood, the only mar of my childhood, the only negative part of my childhood was that kid. I could not stand him. He was the worst part of my childhood. He didn't do one thing for me. Well, actually, he did one thing. But other than that, he never did anything for me. Just one one thing his whole life. So I, I repressed, you know, that information about the adoption in Italy and all that. I just repressed it for, again, I'm a junior in high school. I repressed that information for like a year and a half to two years. I didn't bring it up again until like almost two years later. And I will continue with that story. Manana. So this is Angelo Q. Thanks for listening. I will chat with you.